0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Show of hands, Dad. How many of you have said some variation of, of those in the past week? Anybody? Yeah, you, The rest of you are liars <laughs> or else your kids have been gone, uh, which that, that might be the case too. Father's Day is a great day. We love to celebrate dads, the gift that fatherhood is from God. As Lauren said earlier, I understand it can be a difficult day for some depending on, uh, you know, whether it's your relationship with your dad or maybe you're just really wanting to be a dad and it hasn't happened yet. Some failures you're dealing with in in any way. My hope this morning, though, is to um, encourage you that no matter what your relationship with your dad or your kids is or just the whole idea of fatherhood, um, that you leave this morning convinced that God is your Father. He loves you. He has a plan for you, and He is working that plan out in your life. Today we are uh, we're in week two of a summer message series that we we started last week called Another King. We're walking our way through the the book of First Thessalonians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted. In Thessalonica. So he planted the church um, due to some persecution, he wasn't able to stay there as long as he wanted to. And so this letter is a way for him to write back and report to the Thessalonians these are the things I've heard about you, these are the things I'm proud of, and this is how you're going to continue to follow Jesus. And so one of the one of the primary goals of Paul writing this letter is he's trying to teach the Thessalonians. That when you choose to follow Jesus, it is another way of life entirely. You, in, in some ways, you're, you're adopting a totally new culture, a new way of life. Your mind is being renewed and it's flowing out into the way you work, the way you love your spouse, love your kids, operate with your, with your money and sexuality and all sorts of areas. When you serve another king, it really does make a difference. So this morning, we're going to look at 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 10. And in that, we're gonna see, uh, five legacy statements that Paul makes. You know, I think on Father's Day, it's easy for us to think about the idea of legacy. You know, no parent has a neutral impact on their child. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, anyone, you are, you're always making, uh, their life better or you're making their life worse. And when they're little, a lot of times you are actually making their life better while they're telling you that you are really making it worse. But um you've you've navigated those. You also know if you've if you've been a parent for um well basically if you've been a parent longer than Jordan and Megan have, uh you've had an opportunity to understand that uh, there are times where your kids show the the positive nature of your impact on them. Right? Like I, I've had a couple of those moments with my kids where I see them and they'll do something that is so generous or compassionate or kind and just think, yes, like we're Angie and I, we're doing it. They're getting it. they finally. Yes. And then sometimes not 30 minutes later, they're doing something else entirely. And, and I, the first instinct is to say, why would you behave that way? But I, I've learned it to never ask that question because sometimes the response is that's what you do, dad. And it's not really that, I mean, I like it when my kids uh, model after my strengths, not so much my weaknesses. What Paul's going to show us, though, in these uh, eight verses that we're looking at this morning, are that when we make five statements to those who are coming behind us, whether those are your kids, your grandkids, nieces and nephews, maybe you're a teacher, a coach, whatever it could be. I mean, if, you're, if you own your own company, you're a boss, it, it could even apply in some of those relationships. But whenever you're in a position of authority, there are five statements you can make that will ensure your legacy will last long after you're gone. When we get into first uh, Thessalonians chapter two next week you 're going to see Paul begin to use the idea of a mother and a father to describe his relationship with the church in Thessalonica and this morning, as we read through this passage you 'll see that kind of parental concern. Coming through and that sense of parental responsibility that, Hey, I love you guys. I care about you. And at the same time, here's some things that we need to be doing that since we're following Jesus. So we're going to read that passage and then we're going to start working our way through these five statements that, that Paul makes. So let's start. Uh, first Thessalonians chapter one, verse two. If you don't have a Bible, it'll, it'll be here on the screens for you. Paul writes, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what happened when we visited you. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So five statements. Now, these uh, the way I've summarized these statements are based off of what Paul's saying. And the first one comes from verse 2, where Paul tells them, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. So the first legacy statement that we make to those who come behind us is, I love you. Right. When, when Paul makes this statement, what he's telling the Thessalonians is, I was only there for a moment, and then I had to leave, but even after I left, you have always been in my heart, you've always been in my mind, and you've always been in my prayers. Right. This is a statement of compassion, of concern, and of responsibility. And that the way we would sum that up today would be with those three really powerful words. I love you. Now, if, if you were fortunate enough to grow up with a dad, who told you frequently with his words, I love you, you probably don't understand the power and the significance of what he was providing for you. Now, if you're on the other side of that and you grew up with a dad who never said that, or maybe dad was absent entirely, then you know, whether you've recognized it yet or not, you know that when you don't have a dad who's constantly telling you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You'll spend a good chunk of your life searching for that love and acceptance, trying to prove that you're worth it, that you're valuable, that people should appreciate you. So from the, the very beginning, what Paul models for us is if we hope to leave a legacy for those coming behind us, we need to let them know that we love them. Now dads, this is, is vital for you especially. Most of us... Um, most dads are not terribly verbal people. Um, you know, and, and some of you you do a really good job of this, but if you don't, it can be tempting for you to think, well, I do love my kids. And I prove it in my actions. I work hard, I provide a home for them, they have plenty of food, they have clothes, they get to go on vacation, they treat me like an ATM to fund basically whatever they want to do. Like, there is so much proof that I love them. And while that's true, and that's it's admirable the way you provide for your families. Don't ever let material provision take the place of verbalizing your love to your kids. There is something incredibly powerful about a father telling his son and his daughter, whether they are teeny tiny or they are 68 years old, I love you. You never get too old to hear your dad say I love you and to feel the power and the weight of that. And so dads, when, when we do that, we are teaching our kids that they have value, that we love them because of who they are, not because of what they might one day be or because of what they're doing right now, right? It's an expression to your kids. I love you because you're mine. And when we do that, we'll see this in, in a little bit in this passage. When we teach our kids that, we make it easier for them to understand that God also loves them because they're his. Not because of what they've done, but just because they're his. And so we need to verbalize it. We need to express it. We need to become comfortable with that. Your kids should never question if their dad loves them or not. And now, now, you can push even a little bit past that, and, and we can be okay saying I love you to our kids, to our spouse, maybe to our parents, immediate family. Um, but I want to encourage you uh, in a way this morning that, that honestly still makes me uncomfortable, and I'm terrible at it. So I, this is as much for me as it is for you. When we begin to... Paul doesn't make this statement to his immediate family, right? He's making it to a a church that he had relationship with. So these are our friends. These are people that he's not known all his life. They are relatively new relationships, and yet he's expressing his love and concern to them. Now, in in our culture, it is rare for friends to express this type of love to each other, right? And, And honestly, especially for men, like... I mean, we don't have to take a poll because I know what the answer is going to be. Like, guys, when's the last time you told your buddies you love them? Uh, well, let's see. I did it never. So, you know, it's, it's just not going to be that difficult. And, and most of you are like me. It's like you've got, you've got a friend and your wife's friends with his wife. And so she'll tell that wife that you love them as a couple. And you're just like, well, that counts. Now you know, you know, but um, when I was in college, I had this friend named Charlie and Charlie. Um, every time you would hang out with him or talk to him on the phone when you were leaving, he would always say, hey, I love you, man. Hey, I love you, man. So you'd be you know, we'd like slow pitch softball league and, and we're leaving. And he's like, Chris, good game. I love you, man. And it's just like, see ya. You know, I just I couldn't I, just, I couldn't do it. I, I'd call him on the phone, trying to arrange something, and be getting off. He'd be like, "All right, we'll see you tonight. Love you, man." Big, like, bye. Uh, you know, just I couldn't do it. But here's the thing that, that Charlie taught me, and and honestly, I'm still terrible at it. Like I talked to him a couple months ago. And he's like, "I love you," and I was like, "Love you." Uh, you know, just real quick. <laughs> I'm sure he heard that. Uh, you know, but um, so here's the deal, though. When we begin to engage in these kind of deep friendships. And we begin to express that kind of legitimate love and concern to our friends. It begins to present a different picture to the world of what relationships are like when we serve another king. Where we are all in caring and concerned for each other. And it begins to open our hearts and the hearts of others to Jesus. It moves us out of this, you know, the way most of our culture approaches friendship is it's a a mile wide and an inch deep. Right? We know lots of people, but we're not actually known by anyone. And when we will begin to make this shift to express our love and concern for others, it opens our hearts to a deeper level of friendship and relationship with them and opens their hearts and ours to the work of God in us. Right, so we can never underestimate the power of those three words, I love you. And the next statement that comes after it is tied right there with it, it's that idea of I'm proud of you. All right, Paul goes on in verse 3 to tell the Thessalonians, He says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by the hope in our Lord Jesus. Now, you you know this from your own experience growing up. Everyone longs for the approval of their parents. Right, for the approval of teachers, of coaches, of, of those people who are in positions of authority over you in a church setting. It might be the approval of your, your Sunday school teacher, your children's pastor, youth pastor. You want to hear them say, not only do I love you, but I'm proud of you. You're doing a, a good job. They long for that. I mean, kids long for that specific praise. I saw you do this, and I'm proud of you for doing it. And it's important for us as parents to take time to make those statements because the things we celebrate with our kids are the things that are going to get repeated, right? And and so here's where we have to become careful, especially if you're a follower of Jesus and you have determined that the most important thing in your life is for your kids to know and to follow Jesus, then the way you express your praise to them should reflect that value. And here's what I mean. Most of us, we're, we're pretty decent at telling our kids we're proud of what they've done. Right. I, I get your report card. I see the good grades. I'm proud of you. Maybe the standards are a little lower of like I saw the report card and you're still in school. I'm proud of you. You know, uh, I went to the parent teacher conference and they haven't kicked you out. Good job, buddy. You know, whatever it is like we generally praise our kids for what they've done. We go to their game. Hey, good job! I saw you make that play. You you earned the spot. You did this in the concert. You did you know we're we're praising those types of things. But if we want to leave a legacy of faith with our children, we have to move past praising them for what they do and start praising them for who they are. Right? We need to express this is what Paul does here. Not just that he's proud of their work and their labor and their endurance, but he's telling them, "Look, I'm proud of your work because it was produced by your faith." So really, what he's proud of is that these are faith. Filled people. You know, I'm I'm proud of your labor because it was prompted by your love. I'm I'm proud of the the work you did, the effort you put in. But I'm more proud because it was motivated by a heart that loves God and uh, loves others. I'm proud of your endurance. But really, I'm proud that it's motivated by a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what this means for us as parents is we have to be intentional in expressing to our kids, we're not just proud of what you do, but we are proud of why you do it. And so in those moments, when you see the fruit of the spirit on display in your child, you're encouraging them. Hey, I am proud of the way you showed patience in that moment, because that's showing me that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. All right. I'm I'm proud when I see you reading your Bible, not because this is some religious exercise and you're becoming a better person. But I'm proud because it shows me in your heart, you want to know more about God. I'm proud of the way that you earned that money and then you gave some of it away because it shows that your heart is generous and you're letting God build a concern in you for others. When your kids go to events like ministry camp or on missions trips to Brazil and they come back, it's an opportunity for us to say, I'm proud of you giving your time, your energy, working to help others know about Jesus. It reflects that you're living out the Great Commission. We want to move past just telling our kids we're proud of what they do and move into telling them we're proud of who they are. And it will satisfy their soul. It will, it will stabilize them through every season of life because here's the thing. Most of us, we're just experts at picking out the 5% that was wrong, right? Like your kid brings home a 95% on the test and your first response is like, well, what happened on these two questions? You know, they, they, maybe they play basketball and the, the game finished and they played well and, and they come over and your first response is like, hey, that kid's bigger than you. You've got to stop driving into him and start shooting the floater, right? I mean, I, maybe not, but sometimes my wife tells me that that's not the first thing to, to mention. And then I have to eliminate my other 10 things too and just stick with, I'm proud of you. Yesterday we were watching basketball and she was preaching this part of my sermon to me during the game. Like, <laughs> Your son needs to know you're proud of him. Like I'd be proud of me make that shot, you know. But uh, so again, I'm, I'm not telling you I've got this. I'm telling you I'm trying with you to do it. But when we begin to express those things to our ch- children, I love you and I'm proud of you, it begins to settle their soul. It begins to uh, really kind of help them find their identity, not just in how they perform or what they do, but really in who they are. The other thing it does for us parents is it helps. We're doing all we can to make sure that our kids aren't going to chase the path of the first person who comes and tells them, I love you or good job. Right. I think of my little girl in this instance. Like, I want to express my love to her so frequently and so effectively that someday when whoever, Mr. Romeo comes down the road and is like, I love you. I kind of want her response to be, and. Like you think you're the first person that ever told me that I got a dad who loves me. I got two older brothers who love me. Like come back when you got something better, you know, like prove this over time. I, I want to build it around her to where, but if I don't do that and we've seen this right when dad doesn't tell the little girl he loves her, that first guy who comes along and says, sweetie, you are so nice. I love you. It's just like, okay, here we go. Wherever that might lead. Right. And and I, Trust myself a whole lot more than I trust who whatever little moron thinks she's cute the first time. So I'm gonna do that. I love you and I'm proud of you, but we don't stop there. Right? These are these are uh I mean universal culturally, these would be accepted statements. Where we begin to get different is when Paul shows us that the third statement we need to make to leave a legacy is this idea of God has chosen you. Right? It's not just that mom and I love you, it's not just that I'm proud of you, but really your identity is rooted in God's choosing. You're secure because of who he is and what he's done. Paul says it this way. He says, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. This is, this is the central message that we get to share with our kids. God loves you. God has a plan for you. He's chosen you to be his son and his daughter, right? This is the the core of the gospel. We're teaching our kids that the most important thing in life is whose you are, not who you are. It's not about how you perform. It's not about what you can achieve, but your primary identity is rooted in the fact that God has chosen you, The way Paul uses the the language here in this passage is to make it abundantly clear to us that God is the one initiating this process. God is the one who created you. God is the one who's chosen you. And so our significance is found in in his choosing, not in our doing. And this is a a vital message that we have to share with those who are coming behind us. Hey, we love you. We're proud of you. We're proud of who you are. But, But what you really need to know is God has chosen you. you know, all through life, we all have these identity issues of who am I, where do I belong, where's my significance, where's my meaning, where's my fulfillment. And what Paul is doing for the Thessalonians is, is he is trying to settle these struggles in their heart by telling them God loves you and God has chosen you. And because of that, your soul can rest. But, but not only does he share that message with them, but he says he shares it with power, by the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Now when we read that passage, most of the time we read it and we think power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction are the way the Thessalonians heard the message Paul was presenting. But again, the way it's structured and phrased, what, it, what it's actually saying is Paul's telling the Thessalonians, when I came and told you you were loved and chosen by God, when I came and preached the gospel to you, I did it with power, I did it through the Holy Spirit, and I did it with deep conviction. And what Paul is modeling for us is that when we're telling those who come behind us God has chosen you, this is not a dull and boring lecture, right? This is not one of those moments where you just have the talk because you're pa- the parent and you're supposed to have the talk, right? If, if you have kids, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, there are these moments in life and, and with, for Angie and I, we've got three, um, quick-witted children. And so that is delightful 90% of the time, right? And then there's 10% of the time where they will pop off with some statement that, um, My initial response is, good job, buddy. That's hilarious. But I can't because I'm the dad. Right. And if I indulge that, then I'm getting a call from the teacher later. I'm getting a call from one of their friends who said your kid taught my kid this. And and so so there are times where I have to step out of this. Like, I think it's funny. I think it's cute. And you kind of put on your dad shirt and you have that talk of like, hey, we just can't do that. We can't say that. We can't respond that way. We can't do it. Unfortunately, I think there are parents who treat a relationship with Jesus that way. Right? Of like, well, I, I mean, I guess I should do this. Like, this is dad advice. Hey, buddy, you should go to church. You should follow Jesus and change your oil and rotate your tires. You know, it's just like, these are just the things that we that we say and that we do, but that's not what Paul is telling us. He says, if you want to leave a legacy and you want to tell people God has chosen them, you better do it with power, through the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. The most important message you will ever give to your children is God has chosen you. Before they were yours, they were his. Before you knew them, he knew them. He has a plan and a purpose. I mean, that's what we're doing up here, and we're dedicating these babies, is reminding parents this child belongs to the Lord. You are simply a steward of them. And so as our children grow, they should see that the gospel makes a difference in our lives, and we communicate it to them with passion and with deep conviction. Now, that's going to be in accordance with the way God has wired you. So for some of you, when you tell your kids about the gospel, you're going to weep because you're just kind of a weepy person, right? For others of you, you're going to get excited and you're going to talk with your hands because that's what you do. For some of you, you're introverted. So you're going to stare at their shoes instead of your own to express your passion when you're when you're telling them this. Right. But whatever it is, Paul says, look, when you're sharing that God has chosen you, you're doing that with deep conviction, with a certainty to tell your kids this is the very best way to live. And then the next statement he makes kind of tags right on the end of that. So we're saying it with our words, and then we're also leaving a legacy with our actions by telling our kids, hey, follow me to Jesus. Paul puts it this way in verse, uh, let's see here, verse 5. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul's reminding the, the Thessalonians, we didn't just speak the gospel to you, but we modeled it for you. right? And it's this relationship between words and actions that's always part of gospel proclamation. When we live the gospel out, our lives become open doors for others to find Jesus. He, he tells the Thessalonians, remember, you imitated me, and then you imitated God, and now you live by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of severe suffering. See, when we're telling those who are coming after us, follow me to Jesus, what we're not saying is you need to be just like me. What we are saying is, look, I am flawed, I am broken, and Christ makes me whole. So you can follow me to Jesus, and my goal in you following me to Jesus is that you will experience the power of his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will enable you to follow him through every day of your life. You, Paul could have just been a role model for the Thessalonians but he wasn't. Instead, he starts the church. He's driven out of town, but he's introduced them to the spirit. And it's the spirit that holds their lives in Christ in the midst of severe persecution and suffering. So for us as parents, the the message we're giving to our kids is, look, God has chosen you. Now follow me and I'm going to show you what it looks like to surrender to him. And I'm not always going to get it right. But when I get it wrong, I'm going to repent, I'm going to apologize to you, and we're going to go follow Jesus again, because I'm trying to help my kids understand the best gift I can give you is the gift of the Spirit living inside of you, because there are going to be situations you face, and I'm nowhere to be found, right? There are going to be problems you have, and I have no idea how to solve them, but the Spirit will live in you and will lead you through those moments. And so we can confidently, I mean, it's terrifying. In, in, a, in another one of his letters, Paul says it this way. He tells uh, the church he's planted, follow me as I follow Jesus. And for a lot of dads especially, that's just terrifying because we know ourselves. And we know how prone we are to, to screw up and to mess up and to not get it right. And, and we want to say f- to our kids, like, follow me 60% of the time, Right? Follow me on Sundays. Follow maybe on Mondays, Thursdays. Leave me alone. You know, but we we just we have this this struggle with confidently being able to tell our children, "Follow me." But what Paul's modeling for us is the invitation is not "Follow me" because I'm your savior. It's "Follow me," and I'll introduce you to the one who saved me. Follow me, and I'll introduce you to the Spirit who will sustain you even when I am long gone and no longer a part of your life. Right? And then and then Paul concludes uh, with this challenge to be a model for others. He says, So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what happened when we visited you. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. When Paul tells the the Thessalonians that they've become a model to all the believers, the word that we translate model can also be translated as mold. Right? It's this idea of an an example that's being held up, something that's being filled in. Like you're establishing parameters around this is what this new thing looks like. So maybe think of it this way. Um, I have an older sister who's 18 months older than me. I was one grade behind her in school. And in elementary school, middle school, high school, almost every year I had a teacher that she had had the previous year. Now, uh, my sister and I are different personalities. She was the ideal student, right? Like she was in the gifted program. I was not. She was quiet. I was not. She was respectful. I tried to be. Um, she never talked back. I never... Then it talked back like she really valued turning work in on time. I kind of felt like that was up for debate with the teacher, uh, you know, so, so just all these things. But every year that I had a teacher she had within the first month of school, one of them would say to me, I'm just surprised you're not more like your sister, which I always I was dumb enough. Again, I wasn't in the gifted program. She was. I thought it was a compliment. You know, like, yeah, I'm not. She's boring, right? I mean, aren't you glad you have me this year? Uh, and, and didn't realize till later that, that they were bemoaning the fact that I was not like my sister, but she had created a mold of what a Tao child would be like. And then I came and presented an entirely different mold to the teacher of like, no, this is what we're, really like. And then my my younger siblings who came after us, they generally fell in one of those two camps. And so my teachers would know, like they either got another Mindy or they got a Chris, and then their prayers would go up or down accordingly. But um, this is what Paul's telling the Thessalonians here. You are creating a mold for the other believers. You are showing them what it looks like. And so in the Thessalonian church, there are people who've come from a Jewish background, There are people who were what they called God-fearing Gentiles. So they would hang out with the Jews and they would try to figure out how to please God. And then there are people who come from totally pagan backgrounds. And so in the church in Thessalonica, there are three molds that are being made. There's a mold of this is what it looks like for a Jew to become a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like for a God-fearing Gentile to become a follower of Jesus. This is a mold of what it looks like for a pagan to become a follower of Jesus. And then in all of that was this big mold of this is what a church looks like when they choose to follow another king. And Paul says that mold, that model is being held up for people all over the region to follow, and they've heard the stories of how the church in Thessalonica has turned away from pagans, they've been revolutionized by God and they're continuing to trust him even in suffering, and they're providing for all of these other churches that Paul is planting a, a model for him to point back to and says, "This is what it looks like. this is what you do." right Now this is perhaps the, the most challenging part of, of leaving a legacy of faith, is helping those who come behind us to understand it's not enough for me to leave a legacy for you, but you have to leave a legacy for others, right? If I leave this long legacy and it dies with me and you don't do anything to carry it on, it, it it's kind of a failure, right? And so this is a lesson we're constantly trying to teach our children from their earliest ages. You are a model for others. You are responsible for those who are coming behind you. And it can be a challenging uh, idea for us to teach in the church, especially, because here's what happens. You know, we we love at Christian Chapel and and churches like us all over the United States and and around the world really love to minister to children, to teenagers, young adults. and, And in those settings, most of the time we're creating special opportunities for them. You know, so if you've got a kid 6th grade or under, right now they're experiencing a ministry environment that is designed specifically for them. So your, your kids back there in the nursery, they're going through these little baby Bible lessons where they sit around a table and there's like some padding and some songs and it's the most adorable thing you've ever seen. Over here in the preschool area, they're teaching them that God loves them, that he has a plan for them. Over in Kids Blast, Amy's got this great program ready for them, specifically geared for them. And then they're going to go into middle school and they're going to go uh, with Pastor Cameron and he's going to spend all of his time and energy trying to help them see when you're a teenager, this is how you follow Jesus. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. And he's going to take them on missions trips and camps and retreats and do a dozen different things every year to try to help them see that God loves them and cares for them and has a plan for them. The challenge becomes when they get out of that and they enter into these young adult years and they start to look around and think, well, For 20 years, church has been about me. For 20 years, I've shown up for summer camps and there's 65 adults just waiting to serve me. Right? Like, what kid doesn't love that? And it's not even mom and dad, so I can even kind of boss the adults around of like, hey, get me a drink. And they get me a drink, Uh right? It's just it's amazing. It's it's wonderful. And, and and I don't ever want to take away from your kids feeling totally at home here. I mean, Angie and I have been so blessed. Our kids, they're just now starting to grow out of but when they were toddlers especially, they thought all of you came here to see them. Right? Like that was that was the only you were here to fulfill their needs and to play with them and um about 3 years ago this this time of year, I went we went home from church on a Sunday morning and and somebody called me that day who had a, a lake house, and they said, hey, do you want to bring Angie and your kids up to the lake tomorrow and hang out on the boat with us? And we love doing that, so we said, absolutely. We'll you know, clear the calendar. We'll be up there. So Angie and I are in the car the next day. We're driving up to the lake, and, and her and I are having this talk of like, man, that's really nice. We're really excited for this. I wonder what caused them to invite us up here. And one of my boys pipes up from the back of the car, and he says, it's because I asked them. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like what do you mean you ask them? Because we know our boys and we know how they ask, right? Their ask is a tell. And, and so we say, what do you mean you ask them? He says, well, I saw him and I went up to him and I said, hey, when are you going to take me out on your boat? <laughs> and we're like, that was it? Yeah. Did you say please? No. Uh, you know, I'm just like, I mean, just totally that, like the same way he would talk to his uncle, he had, so I'm sorry to all of you who he's ever done that to, or any of my other ones, but, uh, so we had that talk with him, like, buddy, you can't just, and, and we showed up, and we're like, we're so sorry, we didn't, I promise we didn't put him up to it, uh, and they were so gracious, they said, we loved it, we loved that he felt so comfortable with us to just come up and ask for what he wanted. Now, I love that when my child is eight or nine years old. If he's 28 or 29, if he's 18 or 19 and still behaving the same way, you all have my permission to punch him in the face if he does that, <laughs> right? Just, I mean, take him out. It's Here's the thing, though. We we do such a good job of investing so heavily that sometimes we forget this last part of leaving a legacy. This idea that, hey, it's not just about what I'm giving to you. It's about what are you, what are you going to give to those who are coming behind you? As as parents, we don't just want to create a legacy. We want to create another legacy maker. We want our children to give their lives to leave a legacy for those who are coming behind them. And we are all naturally selfish, so they're not going to do it without us encouraging them. And 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 don't mistake, don't mistakenly think this is just like a young adult teenager issue. Because I've had conversations with fifty year olds where they're basically expressing this idea of why doesn't the church exist entirely for me? Like where are all the people surrounding me? Where are all the, who's going to do this for me? And she's like, well you're grown. Come on, you know, get with it. Who are you doing stuff for? Who are you reaching behind? Like we all need somebody who's going before us. We need people who are next to us and we need to be investing in those who are coming behind us. This is what Paul's telling the Thessalonian church from their formation. He is telling them, you are a model to others. And remember when he writes this, it's still a very young church. It's not like they had decades of experience, but he's telling them, look, you've, you've met Jesus, you've followed him, you've surrendered your lives, and now you're being held up as a model for others. And this is the message that we leave to our kids. Hey, we love you, we're proud of you, God has chosen you, we're going to show you how to follow Jesus, but then the expectation is, now you got to own this and do it for those who are coming behind you. And when we begin to do that, then we as a people begin to live in a way that actually makes a difference in our community, and in our world. We begin to live in ways that ensure this local congregation will outlast any particular generation. You know, we're, we're not just settled in on like, well, okay, until this group dies, then we're done. No, no, no. We're We're constantly pushing this down of serve those coming behind you. Serve those coming behind you. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're proud of them. Tell them God has chosen them. Tell them to follow you to Jesus, and then tell them to do the same thing. This is the model of evangelism and discipleship that Paul presents to us throughout his letters. One of your life is transformed, you've surrendered to Jesus, and now you get to invite others to do the same. Now we can hear things like that, and and especially if you're a list type person, you hear five things and think, okay, uh, I'm going to grade myself. you know, And and so you're already kind of going through how you're doing on those things, making determinations on how you're going to do better on certain parts of it. But I want to encourage you this morning as, as we wrap up, the solution, if you fall short in any of those areas, which honestly we, we all do, but the solution is not for you to try harder, it's to surrender more. Right? Again, the, the big message of Thessalonians is we need another king. And so if you want to leave a legacy, you need another king. Your own kingdom will not last. It will die with you. But if you fall short, if you lack, surrender to Jesus, to his kingdom, and you can begin this process of leaving a legacy. And the beauty of his kingdom is it's never too late. So even if this was never modeled for you by a father, you can model for those who are coming after you. Even if your relationship with your children is a total disaster, redemption is still available. Even if your kids are far from the Lord this morning, you still have opportunities to tell them, I love you. I'm proud of you. God's chosen you, right? The the kingdom of Jesus, the doors are always open. There's always an invitation for us to enter in and to find this completely new way of life. And so wherever you are this morning, my hope is that you will not settle for just trying harder, but you'll begin to surrender more to ask his kingdom to come, to ask his will to be accomplished, to ask his spirit to live in you and be strong in all the areas you're weak. If you struggle to, to say those three words of I love you, ask God's spirit to come and sow his love deep within your heart. If you struggle to express how proud you are to others, may God's spirit come and remove some of that cynicism and perfectionism and help you to begin to express your deep appreciation for others. If you struggle with with the knowledge that, man, I I can't tell someone else God's chosen chosen them, I don't know if he's chosen me, then ask his spirit to come and convince you that you are his son and his daughter. In whatever way you lack, surrender to another king, and you will find him to be sufficient, and you will find him to be with you. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for all of us, and then before you go, I want to pray a special prayer for all of our dads who are here this morning. God, we come to you today as people who desire to leave a legacy. Lord, we want the world to be different because we served you in it long after we're gone, long after we've been forgotten, we want the ripple effects of our life to still be felt. in the lives of those who come after us and the lives of those that we're impacting who impact others. So God, help us to surrender to you and to your kingdom. We lay down our insecurities, we lay down our sins and our fears, and we ask that you would help us to place our lives in your kingdom because that's where you've chosen us to be. So we surrender to it. I pray, Lord, especially for those for whom today is a a difficult day. May they know that you are your father, that you love them, that you care for them, that you are bringing your hope and your peace into their situations. Lord, may you convince them that the, the broken patterns that were laid out by those who went before them are not the legacy they are destined to leave for those who come after them. May we experience your grace and your mercy and lead others into the new life that we have found. If you have a dad uh, next to you, if you just want to place your hand on his shoulder or uh, stand near him, we're going to pray just a final prayer, especially for our dads this morning. Lord, we thank you for each father who's here. We thank you for the gift that they are to their families and for the gift that they are to us as a church. We ask, Lord, that they would walk in confidence knowing that you see them and you love them and you are proud of them. Lord, help us to surrender our weaknesses to you. Help us to believe that in all the ways we fall short, you will be sufficient. Lord, we ask that you would honor our intentions as we parent our children. Help us, Lord, to to not only do the best of our ability, but to rely on your spirit every day. To not only use our successes, but also our failures. To point our children to Jesus and to his activity in their life. Help us, Lord, to verbalize our care and our pride to our children. Help us to show them that you have a plan for them. Help us, Lord, to be a source of encouragement and love and support, regardless of how old they are. And pray for each man, Lord, that you would convince him this morning that you have chosen him for this role and for this moment. May he walk into it with confidence, knowing that your spirit will lead him and provide for all that he needs. And Lord, we pray a special prayer today for those who long to be fathers, but that longing has not yet been fulfilled. We ask, Lord, that the coming year would be one where you grant them the desires of their heart, where you open doors of fatherhood that they may not have previously expected, but that their arms will be open and their hearts will be ready for the children that you have for them. God, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for each dad. We pray your blessing of mercy and grace and peace over them. May they walk in the power of your spirit and invite others to follow them on that path. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Happy Father's Day. Dad's on your way out. Stop by the table in the foyer and grab a gift for yourself. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.